0: Hey folks, before we hit the music, I just want to take a quick moment to let you know about a really big fucking announcement. The multiplayer Doom Federation has joined the fold of those who will be putting on QuakeCon at-home events. So, I present to you the Take the Crown Doom 2 FFA Tournament. This will have a $750 prize pool, and you can check it out. Saturday, August 8th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time Zone. That will be for the group stage. And then the next day, Sunday, August 9th at noon Eastern Time, get on twitch.tv forward slash Bethesda and watch the finals. It's that simple. It's going to be fucking amazing. I can't wait for it. If you are interested in more information, I recommend you head over either to inthekeep.com, our website, or to the multiplayer Doom Federation's website, which is doomfederation.com, to get all the updated info. It's going to be fucking badass. Get your ass over there. Sign up. Make sure you tune in. Do it. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherlode. The Keep is a collective of gaming enthusiasts compelled by the drowned god Cathala to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. Hello there cultists, it is I, once again, the Motherlode, and you are in for a treat. This week's guest is none other than Ozreek. He is the developer of viscera fest it is a game that i have been following for a long fucking time and i finally got to play the demo i was super impressed i've been begging him to come on the show forever but like finally this was the appropriate time we got it done he is amazing very inspiring young man very rare i get to say that but i think you'll just be absolutely taken aback by The energy this guy brings to the table, the creativity he brings to the table, the overall ability to find exactly what it is about a game that he likes, and the drive to put it into what you will eventually get to see in Viscera Fest. It is phenomenal. Really, really cool game. So, I'm not going to bore you for too long. The music you're about to hear is from the Viscera Fest soundtrack by none other than Michael Markey, more colloquially known as Markey Music, and when it's over, we'll be in the keep with Osreek.
1: to get into like what happened i'd say we have to start when i was eight years old because uh when when i was eight years old i had i don't remember why uh so i I, growing up i had an absolute love for just doing like art and drawing and things of that nature um and uh at some point i had gotten this like intense and fast fascination with doing like 2d and 3d animation and i had asked my dad to see if he could find me, like, a 3D program that would allow me to, like, you know, or, you know, just some program that would allow me to do, like, animation and things of that nature. So he found some, like, uh, I don't really know what, what it was. I, like, all I remember is that, like, the logo was, like, a purple butterfly or something like that. But it was, like, some piece of 3D animation software. And, or, you know, this was, like, 2008. There was, like, no video documentation for this kind of stuff. You know, like, YouTube wasn't even really, like, that much of a thing yet. And so, being an eight-year-old trying to get, like, a 3D animation program, which probably, looking back, wasn't as user-friendly as a lot of the programs are nowadays, you know, like, all I really had to go off of was, like, their (laughs) Sumerian text of a manual... And it was uh, it's just an absolute nightmare to try and learn, and I couldn't wrap my brain around it, so I ended up dropping it pretty quickly. Uh, when I was about 12 years old, though, my dad ended up find, finding a program called Blender, and he was like, hey, I remember you had an interest in doing this kind of stuff, and I remember you wanted to do it, and I just stumbled across this thing, and it's got like tons of tutorials on their website and stuff, so I figured uh, I'd you know, let you know and see if you were interested in looking into it. So I did. Um, And I I got into, uh, I, I, I did a lot of, I was practicing a lot with it. And unlike the other program, I was actually able to make headway with it. And I was actually making stuff, which I mean, despite how terrible it probably is looking back at it, it was something like I, with the other program, I wasn't able to do like anything. I had no idea I just I I didn't know how to use the program. Like all I could do was add pre-made objects. I didn't know how to like model anything or anything of that nature. So going into um, Blender and having like all these resources and having all this stuff, I was able to very quickly pick up on how to actually use the tools. And yeah, yeah, uh, I had been working with that for a while, and then on their website, I had noticed they had like a tutorial. For how uh to th- th- for how to like use their game engine. I was like, wait, this thing is a game engine. I can make video games with this uh you know, being a 12 year old <laughs> so I I like I immediately jumped at it uh trying to make games and stuff with it. and I was like bouncing game ideas off my friends and stuff. and around the same time I had been introduced to first person shooters for the first time ever. I had like before that point, I had like seen my cousins playing Halo, but I wasn't really able to like, wrap my brain of what was on what was like going on on screen like it was just i I was looking at it but my brain just was not putting the pieces together yeah when i was four years old i think the first fps game i ever played was battlefield 1942 uh which my uh friend it's actually funny because my friend i i remember i was at my friend's house and he it was he had uh Return to castle wolfenstein and Uh, battlefield 1942 and battlefield 1942 wasn't very violent and he didn't think my parents would be too happy with uh him them with uh him playing uh return to castle wolfenstein with me so uh he was like yeah let's uh play this one instead um which is funny because looking back now i probably would have liked uh return to castle wolfenstein more that and That friend is more of like a Call of Duty fan now, whereas, like, I'm the old school first person shooters fan, despite the fact that I started with like a more military uh, FPS style game. But uh, I fell in love with Battlefield 1942. I absolutely loved it, and uh, I just fell in love with the idea of first person shooters in general. Uh, So I. I had gone in and I was like, okay, I wanna make it I wanna make a game like this. And especially because like I was a big fan of sci-fi, I wanted to make like a science fiction first person shooter. But um starting out, one, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. I had like just figured out the thing at a game engine. I really didn't know how to build games with it. So like as I would need features or as I would need something, I would look it up online. I didn't really have any design documents, you know, I had I had never made a game before. I had no idea what I was doing. And I was kind of just throwing crap at the wall to see what sticks. And in a lot of sense, I'd say that was kind of how like the first like year or two, and even a little bit beyond that maybe, of how like development went, where it was just like kind of trying to figure out what this game was going to be. And not just this game, because in addition to that, uh, I had adopted this mentality of, you know, if I ever get bored of a project, I'll just have another project laying in the background that I can jump to in case I get bored with this one for the time being. So then I was not only working on what would eventually become Visceral Fest, but I was working on like this uh, isometric combat game. I was working on like this third person action game. I was working on like a 2D platformer or something like that. And it, it just. I think, I want to say it, was, it wasn't till around, like, 2014 when uh, what Visero Fest is now started manifesting, but back up to 2013, because 2013 was the year that I was introduced for the first time to Doom. Being 13, I didn't have a job, I didn't, uh, you know, it wasn't making any money of any kind, so I couldn't just go out and buy my own games. Uh, but, you know, I, I was kind of at that point getting a little bit tired of Battlefield 1942, and I started looking for like free games online. And for me personally, I've always had a, an intense preference for uh, single player games. So, uh, moving on into 2013, I was looking for like free to play titles because I didn't have any money, uh, and I ended up finding a browser version of Doom's original shareware episode, and it sucked. because the the browser version used, like, the original Doom controls, where you had to, like, uh, use the arrow keys to, like, turn and move backward and forward, period and comma was to strafe, and uh, Spacebar was to open doors and control was to shoot or something like that. But, like, for some reason, I just, like, kept coming back to it. Because the other thing, too, is I I was doing this during the time that I was technically supposed to be doing school, because I was homeschooled. But yeah, I, I was playing it during the time I was technically supposed to be doing school. So, like, it, it, because it was in the browser, I couldn't save my progress. So, I I ended up like replaying episode one from the start a lot and not, not getting very far. Uh, it took me quite a while to like reach the end of uh, episode one of the original Doom. But like for some reason, I just kept coming back to it. Like there was something about it that like, despite the crummy controls I was having to deal with at the time, because you know didn't wasn't running it through a source port, I just Something about it just kept pulling me back in. So, moving into 2014 is when I actually got like the full game of Doom. And, uh, you know, I got a source port for it. And that was kind of the point where like Doom went from being like a fun little distraction type game I would play from time to time to being something that I just absolutely fell in love with. Because one of the big things. I remember from my uh, from the time I was like playing first person shooters with all my friends and stuff was like I had a very and gun style of play. I would run headfirst into everything and get mowed down, and my friends would be like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> uh, so I'd be like, you know, I, I just I want to have fun. And to me, like just sitting around and popping up from cover or whatever, it's just not very entertaining. So, like, that was the the way I played a lot of those games. And so, like, to finally have a game that, like, facilitated that kind of play to me, it was just like, oh, man, this is, like, what I've been dreaming of. (laughs) So I absolutely fell in love with it. And I was kind of like, you know, maybe I want to, like, take my game in this direction because, you know, there's not really anyone doing anything like this anymore, Uh, especially around 2014. I mean, like, the most old-school first-person shooter that had come out recently around that time that I can think of, was the janky rise of the triad reboot which uh I don't even I didn't even know existed at that time. Yeah. Um in right. that
0: time frame you had Duke Reloaded was canceled obviously and then <laughs> you had Rise of the Triad and Rack. were like and Straight when was Strafe released? Somewhere around that.
1: Straight Straight was no, uh Straight was released like maybe 20 like the demo anyways was released like 2015 2016 okay, time frame. Okay um yeah no uh so but i mean like the other thing too is like i just didn't know about those games because you know most of what i was familiar with was like the big AAA, a like you know call of duty you know i th- think it was like modern warfare at that time maybe black ops or whatever but that that was all i really knew so like kind of it was like you know for me it was a chance to do something that was like different from what everyone else was doing because i mean even if we are considering those games like those games are not like really pure first person shooters i mean like for pure like old school first person shooters they are still right. they're still like elements and rise of the triad is just weird <laughs> 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 oh i mean like i have a special place in my heart somewhere for rise of the triad but like rise of the triad is its own thing
0: amazing soundtrack
1: yeah. Um, but uh, so, yeah, moving on from that, a lot of so I, I made like this original I started working on uh, trying to figure out what how like how I was going to like blend some of these elements into my game. And it was kind of a case of like taking what was initially a more like Halo style shooter and slowly eking it toward like that more old school first person shooter style of play. There, uh, I, and Originally, actually, I remember all of the art all of the uh, sprites and stuff were going to be like 3D models that I like converted into sprites, but I just couldn't get it to look good. So I ended up dropping that and just doing hand painted sprites, but um kind of the theme that now runs from and actually, so this this is a little bit of a theme that runs throughout the early development too. What I would often do is I would work on the game. I'd get to a certain point, look back at what I had done and I'd be like, I can do so much better than this now because there is so much I didn't know how to do before and I could just improve it all now. Or it would be a case of like, I hadn't accounted for something and now there was some feature I needed that added, but like because of the way the game was built, there was just no easy way for me to incorporate it in. And so what I would do is i basically look at what I had uh, and I'd be like, I can't really do anything with this anymore. It would just be easier to start all over. And I did that again and again and again. Like, just with like the, when like it started taking that shift toward a more old school style approach to the overall game design, I must have restarted uh, those builds at least eight times. And that's not including like how many times I restarted the uh, earlier ones from like 2012 to like 2014. So, yeah, it was, it was, so kind of speeding up a bit and getting to the point where we are at now. Uh, i'd say like if i really wanted to trace back uh when viscera fest started truly just like becoming something vaguely recognizable to what it is now that would probably be back in 2016 i had just i had just restarted the project again i was starting to pin down an art style and an art direction because i i, I had before i'd been using sprites but i had i had a scrapped that version and started over trying with 3D models. The problem with that version I had just scrapped that was using the 3D models was just how buggy it was. And a lot of that was because of the 3D models, like and just like the interference and fighting that was going on within the game engine because uh I'll I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> but uh
0: <laughs> so we've got an hour man. We can talk about this the whole thing. Yeah.
1: Relax. So I, I, I so I started the twenty sixteen build. Um, around this time I had been showing off the game to uh, a fr- like I had been, I'd gone to a camp. Uh, I had been showing off the game a bit to some of the other people who were there, and there a friend of mine at the time. He had said, "Hey, do you need a composer?" Uh, and originally, I was going to compose all the music myself, despite the fact that I have no knowledge of <laughs> how to compose music. So he, he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I, I I could use like a composer." So um, he hopped on. He, 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 had, he had done, like, two tracks, and uh, I'll get to him in a minute. But um, I was basically, I was working on, like, that 2016 Blender build. Easy, easy. Oh, yeah, it was wonderful. And, like, that was when the game was really starting to take shape. But it was also the point at which I was really starting to feel the limitations of the engine. Because I had, like, I was getting further with that version of the game than I had with any other version of the game up to that point. like uh, I, I had gotten to the point where I, I was actually making the very first level, which, uh, if you play the demo, was um, that was C1L1, which is the, uh, it opens with, like, you're in, like, like a cell block, and uh, there's, like, this execution pit, and you get the pink key card, and you go up, the and you see, like, the pink key door, and you use that to open the door, and it ends in, like, this giant battle arena. That level was the first level I had ever made. That level is one seventh of the size it was supposed to be because I had originally drawn out this entire like layout, and that was just like the opening to the level, right? But I had kind of gotten impatient with making that level, so I was like, you know what? I just want to test and see how this feels to play, throw a few enemies down, and you know, go from there. I started filling out the level. And then I went to play it, and I started noticing it ran terribly. And I was like, what is going on? And I very quickly found out that the limitations I had on what I could do with enemies was choking. It was utterly devastating. Like, I've talked about it before, but... uh the limitations I was running into were to such an extent that, and it ranges from level to level, by the way, in that old Blender version, I could only have a max of 18 enemies at a level at a time. And if I was using like spawners, like spawning them after the fact, then I could only have like a max of like maybe 23 if I was lucky. And like and like I said, that's including sp- uh, like spawning them after the fact, like throughout the entire level. Like, I could have no more than like 23 enemies at best. It was terrible. But the thing that I do think is great about that is like, was, like toward the end of like that Blender version's development, that it really became a problem because there were some levels I could not have more than eight enemies in uh, without the frame rate tanking to like from like 100 to 40 just with like one enemy. The thing that was great about it was it really forced me to, I'll say, actually design levels. Because the thing was, is like I think that opening section of level one is actually great. I actually like that the level the C1L1 has changed very little since I had originally made it. It's mostly just in like minor facelift elements that I've changed. I'm very happy with how that levels turned out. But everything past the point where that got cut off was garbage it was massive long hallways massive empty rooms it, it, it was like just the most padded out filler you could possibly imagine and having that limited of an enemy quantity that i could actually play within the levels really forced me to like make the most of what little space i could actually get away with you know, because it's like you can't have, like, massive, massive levels that aren't, like, you know, just, like, giant empty spaces in them. Because then it, it's kind of boring just walking around and, like, seeing, like, one enemy and like, this big open area or something. So I uh, I, I really had to, like, figure out, like, to just, just, like, basically take all my ideas from this level and just, like, refine it down to the shortest possible experience that still had enough teeth to be there but it was, um, you know, something that, like, that didn't last super long, so that way I didn't have to, like, sparingly place enemies in a way that felt very awkward and very, like, just, you know... Again, you walk into a room and there's, like, one enemy when it feels like this entire space should be filled with enemies. But yeah, so toward the end of development on that Blender version, I I had kind of hit a brick wall, because... We had basically wrapped up development on Chapter 2, and I was starting work on Chapter 3. And it was becoming painfully apparent just how unplayable the game was for everyone. Frame rate, you you had to have like a decent to beefy PC to run the thing even remotely well. But even then, there was no guarantee that it would run well because the Blender Game Engine is a janky, unfinished, unpolished mess that I ended up just... So basically, there are several people who couldn't run it well, despite the fact that they have they had specs that should have more than allowed them to run it perfectly. The game itself. Uh, so, like a bud of mine, he had been able to play like prior versions of the game, but when we sent out the beta for what that for chapter two, he the game wouldn't even open, and not only would the game not even open. But now it had corrupted prior versions of the game on his PC. So even if he had like completely wiped the game from his PC and downloaded like the prior versions of the game, he could not get it to run anymore. And stuff like this kept on happening. And it just kept piling up. And it was like... Crushing me and weighing me down, and I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I can't ship the game in this state, but there's like nothing I can do to fix this because the engine is such a piece of crap that there's like nothing to salvage here. So, I had uh, priorly in also around 2016, a bud of mine was well, he he wasn't a bud of mine at the time, but uh, I, there was a game, an indie game I was following because I loved to follow like other smaller projects around that time called Nexum. It was a uh, team-based arena first-person shooter uh with like where the characters had like you know almost like team fortress style two classes and stuff like that and this was like before overwatch was the thing it had been in development for a while at that point a guy called bounty x snipe was running the thing and they were at a point where they wanted to get art assets into the game and i'm like well you know i'm fairly confident at making like art assets and like doing concept art and stuff like that so I figured like, I'd volunteer to do work for them, and they really liked the stuff I did for them. That game ended up getting canceled, or I should say shelved. He might end up picking it up again at some point. I don't know. But uh, the problem was is just that development had kind of lagged on for a while, and around that point, you know, Quake Champions had come out, Overwatch had come out, and these games were doing things that were... Very similar conceptually. And there were other arena shooters that had come out by this point. And they had all kind of just flopped. Uh, so he, he was feeling very discouraged, and he didn't really have a desire to carry on with that game. So he's, he's moved on now to working on another game. Uh, I can't remember exactly what it's called. It's got like a ninja cat as the main character. But um, one of the programmers on that game was re- really loved what I was doing with Vistler Fest, he, And he, he was Fireplant Games and um he had he'd had been talking to me and he, he wanted to work with me for a while and he was actually constantly nagging me so like when are we gonna port this thing to unity and i was just like shut up shut up because <laughs> uh I, you know I, I just wanted to get the game done. i didn't want to like restart it all over again uh by that point in time because you know i was like man this has been going on for a while i don't need to like make development drag on for a couple more years um So I just wanted to get the Blender version of the game done. Uh, But eventually, I just got to a point where, like I said, it it had broke me. And uh, I I, I called him up, and I was like, hey, so how long do you think it's going to take to uh, port this thing over to Unity? And he said, oh, you know, about a month. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so he, he said about a month uh oh, no no it was to get like all i said how long do you think it will take to get like all the weapons and all the enemies and like maybe the first level in the unit he said about a month I said okay so we started so i was like okay let's get started <laughs> so i uh, would right away because like we had actually we we had been talking like i said about working on a future project together and we had been throwing around some like beta test ideas for like what we would do for like the movement controls and stuff like that in unity which uh we ended up kind of partially adopting for this version of viscera fest some of the stuff ended up getting cut because it just wasn't work- going to work with this game yeah so i we basically took some of what we had there and we started working on porting it over into uh or porting the Fest over into that and kind of retaining some of the movement elements from the beta test we were doing on that stuff and uh yeah uh it took a lot longer than a month if <laughs> we don't even have all the enemies and weapons in yet, Because, but like the reason for that is more so because the game has moved from the point of it's no longer really just us porting what we had in the Blender version over to the Unity version. Like we really are basically remaking the game from scratch. So much of the Blender stuff has been changed and so much of it has been updated so drastically that it's not even recognizable. And especially the latter parts of the game are like that old stuff is completely unusable. Now I'm going to be completely remaking uh, chapters two and chapter three and the latter half of chapter one, which uh, you, you guys have gotten to play the first half of chapter one, obviously. But uh, yeah, like we are, we've basically taken on just completely remaking the full thing from scratch, uh, which is honestly the wisest decisions we'd ever made. Cause uh, I I don't think the game would have shaped up as well as it has been had we not decided to go that direction. Uh, and that's and that's just like the story from like the game development. Like honestly, like I I could go into like the history of the actual narrative itself, and because there's so much lore for the thing, and it's evolved and changed so much over the years. And then there is just there's so much background stuff that's just like I. I struggle to remember it all. There's so much to talk about the development of this thing that I could not possibly hope to uh, cover it in any reasonable amount of time. But I I think that's a good enough point to give you an idea of like why we've been in why the game has been in development for eight years.
0: (laughs) So, so let's take a step back here. Let's move you over here to the psychoanalysis couch and kind of dissect what we've got so far. So here's what I've picked up. I've been taking notes. Mm-hmm. You started basically learning how to develop shit in 2008 when you were eight years old. So you're now what, 20 years old. Yes. Okay. Wow. That's awesome that you <laughs> uh, you found your passion early. Like that's actually a pretty beautiful thing. One of the things you were saying, you know, about like how you, you said you're homeschooled and your dad was pretty, from what I could tell, supportive of your, you know, getting into this shit and like, how did that inform your process of learning things on your own because I, I was in the public school uh, state education system unfortunately and <laughs> you know, I, I, I too was like an autodidact but it's v- very different when you have to spend 8 hours a day, 40 hours a week or more if you have homework basically um, having your time just stolen from you by the state <laughs>
1: And, um, oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, no, I'll let you, I'll, I'll let you continue.
0: Well, I'm just wondering, like, how did how did you think that that shaped your ability to work on your own and to learn things on your own?
1: Well, well for one, I just had more time. Because yeah. the thing is, is like, it, with homeschooling, you can kind of do it at your own pace. So, like, I was, like, if I wanted to, I could do, like, say, five days worth of math classes in one day. It, it was like it was that easy like if i wanted to i could totally do that you know i mean like it might take a little bit more time out of my day to do it but i could totally like you know some of the lessons were really brief some of them were really long so some of the stuff i was able to like breeze through large chunks at a time some of it took a bit longer and uh, i'd say like it, it left me more room in actual time to be able to work on this stuff 2008's not quite an accurate uh term for like when i started because like like i said 2008, I had asked my dad to get me a 3D animation program. Mm-hmm. 2008, he had found something for me, but I really wasn't able to like grasp much about it. I was throwing myself at it and trying to figure out by just trial and error, but I really couldn't wrap my head around that thing. But the, and, the twinkle
0: in your eye was already there. The, the, oh, the yeah. spark had been set.
1: I, and I actually, I mean, like I had even... I was doing, like, stop-motion stuff with Legos at the time. Mm-hmm. I was uh, – I, I, I was actually – so I, I had t- – we had, like, a light box, you know, like, you basically trace outlines and stuff. I would actually, like, taken, like, large sheets of paper, drawn on them, uh, and then, like, I'd use, like, a camera to take pictures of all the pictures I had drawn. And I'd, like, use them to make animations in, like, uh, Windows Filmmaker to, like, try – because, like, at the time, you know, like, I didn't have, like, a – drawing tablet or, like, a 2D animation software. So, like, that was the closest thing I could do to that. Like I said, I was doing lots and lots of drawing. I uh, Honestly, like, for a large chunk of my life, that was, like, my main passion was just drawing because uh, I loved coming up with, like, character designs and I loved uh, just... I, I, and I was pretty good at it, too. I, I'm still pretty decent at it. I just I haven't had the time recently. <laughs> um, yeah, so I uh, I was throwing myself... Uh, all these different things, trying to find something that sticked 2012 rolled around. My dad found that program and I was finally able to learn something. And, uh, I think like a, a lot of people have asked me like, wow, why, why did you stick with it so long? Cause like, I feel like any sane person would have probably quit at some point, uh, before, uh, you know, especially when you're that young, you don't have the patience for, uh, that kind of long-term working on this thing uh, and i'll say like there were several points where i was kind of thinking about quitting but at the same time i was kind of reaching this point where it was like you know my, my, my central philosophy for why i kept restarting and uh trying to improve what i was doing was i just wanted to make something that was worth people's time and at a certain point i think i had kind of adopted this sunk uh cost um what is it I, i'm trying to think of a phrasing for it like the, the sunk cost fallacy, I think it's called, where it was like I had spent so much time working on this, I was just like, I have to see the suit to the end, like you know, I, I can't, I can't quit now. Uh, I have to see this. I have to make sure that I at least finish this, if nothing else. But yeah, I think the way it informed going. Sorry, I, I tend to rant a lot. I think, I think going back to your question about like how it informed my learning process, uh, you know. It was just like, I mean, it wasn't even that different from what I was learning, how I was learning in school. Like, you know, whether it be reading through courses or like videos, talking about how you're supposed to do certain things. I would often have like a video open in the background. I'd watch what they were doing. I would just follow what they did for the tutorial. Uh, And, you know, once you pick up on that stuff, you know, you can start to apply it to other areas of of what you're working on. Because like once you know how to like model a dragon, you can apply that to modeling a lizard or modeling a character or whatever. And it, it was that kind of thing where I was just like, once I had learned enough to be able to actually competently do something, I was able to take it to a point where I could apply that to other areas of what I was trying to do.
0: So yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really interesting to me. I I don't want to like place all of my thoughts or put words in your mouth, but that way of kind of managing your own time at that age and ha- you know obviously you said having more free time and developing the the drive to just do things yourself when you're not being like forced to cuz kind of what we're kind of taught you know in the in the public school system is you know follow the bell do what you're told walk around you know like you're you for some reason they think that putting you on a schedule it's, for some people, sure this works, but for not for people like me. I <laughs> think that putting you on that strict schedule with strict directions is somehow gonna foster creativity, and I don't even think that's their goal. I don't think they want creative people. they want people who do what they're told. but for in in your case, do, like do you realize how intellectually immature it sounds for you to say something at, let alone as a teenager, but now I mean even at twenty? To say something like, I just want to make something that's worth people's time. That statement alone says so much more. That that one sentence told me more about you than the whole rest of that monologue.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because, I don't know, a lot of people really don't put that together. I'm sure there's 40, 50-year-old people that still haven't put that together. You You seem to care not only about your creative freedom and your ability to make the game that you want to make, but also how it's going to be received. A lot of people at this point in time struggle with that. They're like, ah, I just, I don't even know why I do it. They have no, they've put no thought into that. And that's not even a criticism. It's just a maturity thing. Mm-hmm. This is uh, pretty astounding. Like you're, you're 20 years old and you're already making a game that is going to be published. You're, you know, companies that are pretty damn legitimate in the gaming business are looking at what you're do, paying attention to you. Dave Oshry's retweeting shit, talking about like, this game's gone so far since I first saw it. That is a really good situation to be in at this point in your life, dude. I'm very, like, impressed.
1: It, it, it's, yeah, it's it's a dream come true for me, really, because, yeah. like, getting to this point where, like, the game looks like this and it feels like this and it sounds like this and it plays like this. It, 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 like, because... I'm trying to think how to f- phrase it. It's just... It, it's It's really the best feeling in the world to know that after so many years of just pouring myself into something that it it, it's paying off and people are loving it like
0: Mm
1: -hmm. i I, like because for me there's no there's no more satisfying a feeling than knowing you've made something that people love and that people care about and that people want to spend their time on it it, yeah like it's just immensely satisfying uh because i mean like you know. I can make something that appeals to me. And I am making something that appeals to me. Like, honestly, I was afraid that some, there were quite a few elements of the game that I was afraid people weren't going to like. I put a lot of time and thought and effort into it. And I've tried to, you know, there's some things I'm obviously not willing to change my mentality on. But I, I, at the end of the day, I just want to make sure that when people sit down and they play it, they have a good time. Because... I feel like you know one, there's so many other games they could be spending their time with, and if they're willing to take the time to you know you know whether it be paying for it or just playing the demo, if they're willing to take the time like that's that's amazing to me, like you know somebody cares enough about what I'm doing to spend what little time they have on this earth to actually like experience something that I made for them, and yeah, it's just I've been kind of blown away, I was. Expecting some recourse after the demo's launch, uh, but like it, it's—I was not expecting one. The sheer volume of people who've kind of taken a liking to it to uh, suddenly be pouring into my server and talking about it elsewhere, uh, or and just like how positive they've been about it. I mean, like I've said before, like you know, the Unity version is such an improvement over what I had in Blender that it's almost not worth comparing the two. And I was expecting a more positive reaction than the Blender version was getting from people. I was not expecting people to be as passionate about it to the point where I've got a guy in my server who's not only speed running the thing every single day, but has been like endlessly replaying it, like for hours at a time, just trying to like improve his time uh, getting through the levels. Like, because like the devil's not that long. Like, it's only like. 20, 40 minutes for most people. But, like, I've got people who are telling me just, like, man, I could, like, sit here and play this and play this and play this. and It's just so encouraging to me to know, like, it feels like I've been justified in taking the time. And, all, all. like, it's not been a waste of time for me to keep restarting this and to keep redoing it all. Like, I'm finally getting to a point where the game is approaching some sort of finish line and isn't just in this endless cycle of purgatory.
0: Something that I hear a lot of, you know, fairly successful down later in their career game developers talk about is how you have to finish a game, right? So let's Mm -hmm. just take uh, John Romero, for example, right? He started off programming really young and he was mailing in games like just code to magazines so that people could punch it into their computer and play like these really short simple kind of by today's standards extremely rudimentary games (laughs) but he was finishing projects right and just turning them over and over and over again and then by the time that you know wolfenstein and doom shipped you know they those guys had a resume Mm-hmm. you've taken a, a sort of a different route which is pretty interesting to me where you've committed to this project and you're like I will continue to remake it over and over again until it becomes what I want it to be and I think that's going to be really interesting when you do finish it and you have that under your belt where you go from there because yeah like I said this has been a long time coming and I know that's going to be a huge monkey off your back
1: so I guess in terms of my mentality I I totally understand where like John Romero and uh like Carmack and you know and not just them but like you see people who like are giving advice on like making games and they're just like start out simple make something small uh don't don't go big and I've given that same advice to people uh (laughs) because it's good advice uh it really is you know like everyone wants to start out making the biggest coolest thing but if you do that one you're either going to be at it for a hell of a long time if you're just starting and learning how to do this crap. But two, you're very likely to get burned out. You're just, you're going to reach a point where it crushes your soul what you're doing and you're just not going to be able to keep walking. And not only that, but like, you know, with how little time people have nowadays, it's like, you know, working on a game is a time commitment. Like, you are spending massive chunks of your life working on this thing you have to pour like especially if it's going to be like if it has any sort of scale to it like that's why people say start small because uh you know if you can just like finish a project like that in and of itself is very like rewarding and relieving um just being able to like get to a point where you have something done i've actually i've talked about uh in the past I've, i've talked to people about like i don't like it there's been a trend lately in like retro shooters of like having these levels that are like out and I an hour long or something like that, you know, rather than just being like these condensed Jordan experiences. And I think like the thing that people miss when they're doing that is it, you end up getting into this mentality of like, it becomes more of a slog to actually get through your content, no matter how good it is, because you're never given that. Cause like when you like reach the end of a level, you're given like this sense of like, a uh, reward for like getting to a certain point, point. and it's kind of the same way with um, game development. It's like why we like why everyone says start out small. When um because when you start out small, when you're starting out, period, you have no idea how bad it's going to be. You have no reference for just how much sweat and tears even doing the simplest of things is going to be. Like you're going to be pouring yourself into Making your movement, make, making it so like you can't walk through walls or something stupid like that. Like mm-hmm. there are so many microscopic problems that come up within the sphere of game development that, like, it's it's a miracle anything gets done at all. Because <laughs> what was it we got we uh, we were porting? Well, we were working on the re- remaking the thing in Unity, and uh, gosh, we uh, we were having this problem where we wanted to like make enemies more visible, right? We had the shader uh, that we were trying to make where basically, so in, in the Blender version, I had just, like, making it so, like, uh, there, there's uh, something where you have, like, Fulbright, and you have just, like, you know, uh, an object's affected by light. Uh, Fulbright being, like, everything is just the flat color that it is, um, and, you know, obviously the other is there's dynamic light that interact and cast shadows and stuff like that. In the Blender version, that was just, like, one setting I could tick, and I made it so, like, uh, there it was a, sort of a halfway between so like it was still affected by the lighting but it would just show up brighter so that way the enemies would stand out more we wanted to do that we spent probably weeks just trying to get that thing to work we could not figure out for the life of us how to make it not suck and we're or more more than that in the same vein of shaders like at one point uh we had just hit a wall with in unity with like the um renderer we were using at the time was allowing us to do and we had to swap to a different renderer but actually doing so became such a nightmare because so many things were broken when we did that so many things were not showing up right when we did that the game looked hideous when we did that uh and so like we spent like easily easily a month or two just trying to make the game not look like crap And like you run into problems like that all the time. And so it's like, even when you're starting out on a project that you think is like, oh, this is like tiny, you're going to run into problems you had no idea were even possible with your, your project. Um, so it's, the reason it's best to start out small is because it's going to take you way longer to even make that small thing than you think it's going to. So like starting out small, making sure that you can actually finish something is going to be so much more rewarding it's starting out on a project like Vistro Fest which is like a full single-player campaign, because that problem, that uh, that valley of issues that crop up when you're developing a game, is only magnified by a million the larger the project gets. Because for every little thing you do, there are a thousand ways in which it could break and so yeah like i totally get that perspective and i i don't disagree with it honestly if i were to go back in time i probably would have told myself the same thing like just just start out on something small but i i think like at the same time uh for me i've been lucky enough to be in a position where i have the time to brute force it where i have the uh the will to force it. And I've been willing to, even if it means that uh, like, you know, so much of that time, so much of that effort, so much of that work ends up getting tossed out the window. Cause again, I don't like, I don't want to make a game that, you know, people will sit down and play and they'll be like, this was just a waste of time. Or, you know, this just, it's not good. You know, I want to make something that I feel people will want to return to that people will want, like, even if they just enjoyed a moment, like, honestly, if it's just enough for me, if people play the game and they're like, that was fun, probably never going to touch it again, but that was fun for like, you know, the hour I spent with it or whatever it happens to be like, that's enough for me. If people walk away from an experience I've made and they at the very least enjoyed it, that is enough for me. But if I can push it farther, if I can make it better, if I can improve it in any way, if I can go beyond the simple boundaries of just making a game that's passably mediocre than I want to.
0: One of the things that we touched on the other night when we were playing through the demo and you were watching was the episode and specifically the length of levels. And when you were talking a little bit ago, you talked about how people... Generally speaking, have kind of gotten into that trend of making these like long, kind of meandering levels, and there's nothing wrong with that inherently. But like, if I can just speak from my point of view as someone who really likes this style of game, like, and I'll specifically I'll talk about like Doom mods because I think that's a great. It, it has the full spectrum. It has everything from you know Jazz Jackrabbit Doom to Eternity, and everything in between, and I really appreciate when levels are just straight to the point, fat is completely trimmed off, I can get through it in a single sitting, like, because I don't have time, like, people think, oh yeah, he does this gaming podcast, you must play video games all day. I, it's really not that easy, like, I, I spend a lot of my time just doing this shit and not able to actually enjoy all the games. And also I have like a full-time fucking job and a wife and everything to deal with. And I know a lot of the people who are into boomer shooters because they're old as fuck, (laughs) you know, are busy people. And they want to just sit down and get that adrenaline rush, play through a level, you know, save, walk away, come back, and knock out a couple more levels when they have some more time. And I really – I don't know. I think that that's kind of a lost art because people – as you know as an artist – Artists never think anything's done. They're like, oh, I have to keep going. I have to keep making more. I can always make this better. I can add more here. I can add more there. But there's a there's an art to just think about SpongeBob with the marble, right? <laughs> you want to just knock off the pieces that aren't there until you get down to specifically what you want. You want the statue of David. <laughs> and then you put a Squidward nose on it. <laughs> If you need to, if if it requires that, but I, I really appreciated your point of view on that, and I know right now in development the levels are maybe a little bit shorter than you intended. Can yes. you shed some light on that?
1: So yeah, so like I said, uh, when I was working on the blender version, I was incredibly limited uh, limited in terms of what I was able to do with mm-hmm. um, you know enemy counts and stuff like that. So that meant I had I had no choice but to make sure the levels were as focused and as, like, to the point as possible. Like, to the point where I would say not only was fat trimmed off, but, like, entire chunks of level had to be trimmed off that might have actually been important because I just didn't have, you know, anything to do it with. But I I just, I had to cut a a lot of stuff from levels because I just didn't have, I I couldn't get it up to performance. But when uh, porting over to uh, Unity, um, I want to say it was maybe, like, Two months before we launched the demo, uh, I had actually, I've, I've remade a lot of the levels several times, but I, I wanted to do like one final pass on all the levels that were in the demo before we shipped it. Cause mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that they were of the highest bar quality I could make them. And there were a few levels that I was just like, this needs work. So I went through all the levels that are currently in the demo. And I think the level I touched the least was level four. But really, at the end of the day, those levels specifically, they have been expanded upon since their original Blender versions. But they really are almost like, you know, some of the levels are very, very differently out in structure. Don't get me wrong, but I'd say like the soul and the idea of the Blender versions level is still in the current Unity versions of those levels. So they kind of uh, like they kind of like you said they're they're very short. They're they're very brief. Uh, you you could. Beat, like, if, for a first-time player, you might be able to beat them in, like, five minutes. If you know what you're doing, like me, you can easily knock them out in, like, two or three. <laughs> so, uh, I, I'm, I, I'd am i say if the levels were longer, we might have actually had a, little, a few less levels than we ended up shipping. Right. We didn't want the devil demo to be too long, uh, which is one of the re- I mean, it's one of the reasons why we didn't include uh, C1L5 and the rest of Chapter 1. Uh, there are some other reasons. But, um, yeah, I'd say, like... The, the levels will eventually like it get to a point and where they, they will be bigger. Uh, they're not but they're not gonna be like and I'm not throwing these under the bus I want to say like I'm not crapping on these like what, like the things I'm about to mention they are fantastic in their own right. They are absolutely wonderful experiences. Um, you know but you've got levels like what is it Unknown sepulchre. you've got uh, Eve eternity. You've got, uh, what was it? There was, like, this one Doom mod with, like, its own custom, like, weapon set. The guns were, like, all Hell-themed. I think it's called Hellbound or something like yeah, that. Yeah,
0: Hellbound. Hellbound. Yeah. Great mod, for, by the way.
1: Oh, it's a fantastic mod. But, man, like, some of those levels just keep going, and they do mm-hmm. not stop. <laughs> um, and the thing for me, right, is because what all you're really doing when you make levels that long is you are just, uh, you're... You're holding out the player's sense of reward, so it's like you know, think of like you reaching the end of the level as being like a release for the player. At any point up until you reach the end of a level, is kind of just like there's somewhat, somewhat, somewhat of a tension. There's somewhat of a um, you know, like a level is its own closed off experience because like when a level keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going, the player is waiting for that release. The player is waiting for that endpoint. And when that endpoint takes longer and longer and longer to come, it's more and more likely that play is just going to drop an experience because they just, they're not getting like that release. Which I think is so important. I would rather play a mod or a game that has a bunch of short levels or like has like, say, what's supposed to be maybe one level split up into short levels and just have a lot of short levels as opposed to a few long levels. But yeah, uh, it's something that I I, I just... It's a trend that I've noticed a lot lately. There have been so many mods in so many games. Wrath, again, like the the Doom mods we mentioned, that just, like, they love to just make their levels keep going on and on and on. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying their levels are bad. Uh, I think they're wonderful, in fact. But at the same time, I do think that there needs to be more appreciation for more brief experiences and not just like within levels, like let's like games themselves. uh, I just like, you know, like you mentioned, like people don't have time anymore. Like I don't want to spend 50 hours playing one game unless I have been replaying that game like 50 times. Right. (laughs) Because from, I mean, because like if a game is good enough, I will replay it like 50 times. And heck if a game is good enough, I might even want more of it. If it's, you know, not already 40 hours long. (laughs) But, uh, like, that's the thing for me. Like, I, I, don't, I don't like long experiences. I don't like games that last, like, 15 hours. I don't like games that last 20 hours. I mean, don't get me wrong. If I really, 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 really love a game, uh, I'm more than happy for it to last that long especially if it's able to retain my attention for that long. But more often than not, games just don't. Like, there's just not games that fill that kind of uh, experience for me. And that's one thing I want to do with Visceral Fest. Visceral Fest is not going to be a super, super long game. If I had to guess, you're probably looking at most maybe four to six hours, which I think is, like, the perfect length. Like, I know, like, some people, the only thing I'm afraid of is that they're going to be the people who are whining, like, why is this thing, like, cost me, like... 10 to $15. Don't you think that's a little bit much for a game that's only four hours long? You know? <laughs> like, I saw that a lot with Dusk. I saw it a lot with, you know, a Medieval and all these other games that came out. Just people complaining over, like, and it's like, Claire, these people just don't understand, one, the amount of effort and work and time that has to get put into this stuff to make a game even that long. Um, especially with so few people actually working on the game. not only that, but, uh, like, you know, uh, sure, yes, you can beat a game in four to six hours. But the question ultimately becomes, you know, there are plenty of games that I've, you know, you could spend like 25, 30, 40 hours with. And they still won't end up feeling like they're worth the money you paid for them because of how long they are. Because, like, what's actually there isn't even worth playing. (laughs) Like because a lot of that like time is just filler. It's just empty, voidless, nothing. Uh, and I'd rather have a game that costs me like twenty dollars is only like four or five hours long. That is nothing but like a focused, refined experience that I can just keep coming back to and enjoying over and over and over again. Uh, as opposed to something that just wastes my time but costs me more money because you know. It's got to be, it's got, you know, because apparently length equals uh, value, (laughs) which I, it's never been a mentality that I've understood because again, I would rather, I would rather spend more money on a shorter game that's worth my time than more money on a game that wastes my time.
0: It's really hard to put a dollar amount on quality, you know, so uh, that's unfortunately, I think a trickle down effect from the AAA industry is that this, you know, equating we all say time is money and to some extent it is if you put out a game that was ten dollars twenty dollars and i got to play it for 15 minutes i'd be really fucking bummed but you're not going to do that and again you have the replay value you have difficulty settings eventually and you have a lot of different routes you can go with that but i think ultimately it just really comes down to how much money was this experience worth to me in terms of the quality of experience and also just straight up like for every person out there who's bitching about the price tag, there's people <laughs> out there that would happily give you more money than that. And I'm sure you've seen this a bit mm-hmm. because they just want to support it. They like they love what you're doing on principle. Yeah.
1: And and actually going into what you said about replayability, like V Venture Fest probably more Then, like any of the other ones coming out, will have a lot more replayability. Because one, so uh, some of the later levels where I'm actually planning on making uh, are going to incorporate like entirely like off the beat secret paths that are like entire chunks of level, like significant chunks of level. Uh, Like I'm starting that with uh, C1L6, where it's like you'll have entire encounters, you'll have entire areas that are just like you won't see unless you look for secrets. But going beyond that you have the scully system which is uh it's cut, like it's loosely inspired by like collect and stuff like that where it's like you've got all these pickups around the level if you with these uh pickups when you pick them up uh you'll get credits uh and you can spend those in the hub on like modifiers and sheets and stuff like that that you can use when you're replaying a level or beyond that if you find all the scullies in all the levels of a chapter uh, you'll unlock a cipher key, which you can use to unlock that chapter's bonus level. And then, if you unlock all of the, if you find all the Skullies and all the bonus levels of each chapter, uh, you'll unlock cipher keys for each of those levels, and then you can use that to unlock a bonus, uh, an extra, extra bonus level. Um, and then, going beyond that, post-launch, we plan to have New Game Plus, which will have um, it'll have a new weapon. Which is exclusive to the new game plus. It will have new enemies for each faction, which is also exclusive to the new game plus. It will have retweaked enemy placements, so like all the late game enemies will appear early game, and uh, the game will now be balanced according to basically starting out with all the weapons right off the bat, and like so, it will be like a completely different experience just going through the game a second time uh, when when we get that stuff in. And then, uh, you know, and, like, like that already, like, what I mentioned, like, that's way more than, like, most of these other games offer um, in terms of free play- playability. But then, like, you know, like, obviously, there's still the other stuff, like secrets and, you know, speed running for the people who want to do that. And the game is going to be so much more than just, like, your first playthrough.
0: That brings up a couple of points that I just kind of wanted to address with you. Uh, first of all, I do think the scully thing is really cool. Like, I think that's <laughs> a good move, and it's a really smart tool to get more playability out of a game and to incentivize people to revisit levels and things like that. <laughs> I would also w- worry, and maybe you, maybe you're already aware of this. Like, so let's just take like The Witcher Three for example. I'm a real completionist. And most people aren't, you know, like they they're just like really willing to like I'm just going to blast through it and have fun. And I do do that with some games, but some games if I really like them, I'm going to do every little thing I can, and I'm not even going to move forward until I've completed everything that I can in that area. And I wonder and worry that if you're upgrading your character constantly like that, if someone really does just take it super seriously, are they going to end up at the end of the game super overpowered, like I was in The Witcher 3, where you can just mow everything down like a god.
1: No, no, there's no character upgrades. Okay. It's it, There's nothing bound to, like, upgrading the character. The Scullies are, like I said, they're using the hub to buy, like, modifiers and cheats. And what I mean by that, that's like, you know, like, what, modifiers and cheats like what you would use in, like, a multiplayer game. So, like, it would be something like, oh, when I kill an enemy, that enemy will explode like a barrel, and then you can have, like, chain reactions of all the enemies, like, exploding and dealing damage to one another. Um, or... <laughs> or it could be something like, um, you know, it could be something as basic as, like, inf- Invincibility, Infinite Ammo, like, you know, just stuff like that. Stuff that, like, tweaks the way the game plays and, uh, like, alters the experience when you're going through a level the second time. That's genius.
0: I'm very happy to hear you say that.
1: Yeah. And another thing is, because, like, I, I, I did mention the cipher keys and how you'll have to find all the scullies in a level to do that. I think the other concern some people might have is, oh, well that could get really tedious looking for all the secrets and stuff like that. But the one thing I will say about that is uh, I feel like a lot of old school first-person shooters, they especially because there are different map designers and stuff like that, uh, level language changes up a lot. And what counts as a secret uh, or what looks like a secret changes from level to level. And uh, sometimes it's something, you know, you could have something like in uh, Ion Fury has a few secrets like this, where it's just a fit where it's just like, you can just like, walk through a wall. It looks no different than like any other wall in the game, but you can just walk through it because, you know, that's a secret and that's super obtuse. And there's nothing like visually pointing to the fact that it's a secret. It's, you know, it's just a thing you can do because, and like, it makes hunting for secrets in games like that a lot more tedious than it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Visceral Fest, I make an active effort to make sure that every secret is in some way telegraphed. You know, if like, for example, uh, and I'm not really sure why more games didn't do this. I'm kind of surprised Dust did, didn't do this, but like we have cracked walls, kind of like in Duke Nukem 3D and stuff like that. But all the cracked walls are actually like 3D modeled into the environments themselves. So like, not only will you be able to see the crack, but you can also see the room behind the crack. So if there's like a little bit of light or something, like you know, it'll be a little bit eye-catching. Like you'll be able to go, oh, there's like a, something there. You know, if it's like a push wall. There's, it's always slightly indented if it's like um, I'm trying to think of what other kinds of secrets there might be off the top of my head uh, like a shoot button secret you know like there's a specific kind of button we'll use for all the secrets or even go on beyond that like uh, other than just secrets like level readability in general we try to be consistent with uh, like one thing they do a lot in do- the original Doom games is like there is no consistency to what a liquid is <laughs> like you could have water that damages you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whereas in viscera fest it's like all the all the liquids are like color-coded so if it's like you got in level three there's like that bright cyan blue colored acid and if you touch that it sends to death uh and it's at the bottom of the pit you've got the green acid which will like it does damage over time so it will like slowly drain your health even after you've walked out of the acid you've got like regular lava and pink acid which will um just drain your health while you're standing in it or like in chapter two there will be like uh mud basically um where like you know like one of the obstacles that we might put in some of the arenas is uh you know mud where it's like it'll slow you down a little bit so like you'll, you'll you'll kind of have to like jump around and try to avoid getting in the mud because otherwise you leave yourself vulnerable and little things like that where it's like you know you'll just be able to look at something and go I know what that does um and if you're in like especially like with the secrets like if you're vigilant enough if like you like if if you just have ice and you can use them, like you you'll be able to figure out where secrets secrets are relatively easily. Okay. Yeah. So it's not going to be like a chore to like hunt down everything.
0: I think we've we've covered level design, so let's move <laughs> on to the next topic. I uh, am extremely impressed by th- just thus far the the story, and I, again, you said earlier we could talk about this forever. So let's just try to oh. like get the elevator pitch in, but I my initial impression was like, okay, it's the year 3796. It's amazing to me how much the world has progressed socially and yet how still completely fucked it all <laughs> is. And th- this is, uh, I don't know, I-, I love history and I love dissecting stuff like this, so first and foremost, the big thing is you get the animation at the beginning of the game and Caroline wants to buy a ring and propose to her boyfriend who is a one-eyed alien and is not the most masculine looking guy in the world <laughs> and that, cute, though. <laughs> well, he's cute though but it's it's interesting you've you've done a this is a great time for this and you've really clearly thought yourself through I, I don't even know if it was organic or what but you can touch on that when i'm done with my rant that is such a really cool concept and you're giving a you're giving the female character the female lead here a lot of like power and like this is just so cool man i i don't even know how to articulate that i think this is a genius idea
1: yeah so well who carolyn is and what the story has been has actually changed a lot of the development but uh, I, I without going into all of it effectively uh a while back i had reached this point where i was just looking at the story and I was kind of like, man, you know, this really isn't fitting with my game. Because the story uh, before really left no room for, like, any kind of lighthearted. Like, it was just, like it, fe- it, like, it felt played very straight. I wouldn't say it was super dark. It was a little dark. But, like, the main thing was, like, it didn't really feel like I had room to, like, have any lightheartedness within the narrative or the game or the story itself without it feeling out of place. Because it's like, you know you have this bright neon-colored game where it's like, you know, everything is just so saturated. And then you've got, like, this kind of downer, straight, p- played really super straight and serious story that just didn't match what I had, the game I was making. And I was kind of like, I kind of reached this point where I was just like, you know, I'm going to just completely rewrite it. I'm going to take some of what I have already uh, and just retool it and make it into something new. And I was actually super concerned with actually writing the current version of the story because as um, <laughs> I, I feel like if I were to walk up to somebody and like somebody were ask me, so what is Viscera Fest about? Uh, and they have asked me that. And I kind of lock up every single time someone asks me that and go, because uh. <laughs> it's when I describe what the story of Viscera Fest is, it sounds like the kind of thing I would expect from like, Some edgy teenage girls like fanfic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. It it, it totally sounds like that, but like in presentation and like the way it feels in game, you're just like, oh yeah, no, this this is totally this is totally palatable. It doesn't feel like just cheesy or painful or corny. It's it's like it's it feels totally natural. Like like you don't even question it. And it's like it's so weird to me that it's it's worked as well as it has. Not only that, but people have loved it as much as they have. It's uh, it's 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 been really exciting for me, Uh, but I will say that is just like what you what everyone knows of the story is really just the surface level. Uh, Like that is just the character main character's motivation, and that's it. You've heard if you played the demo, you've heard a a little bit of uh, some light tidbits of where the story is heading. But uh, I'll say, especially when you get to chapter two. Uh, things really start to hit the wall mm. in terms of like what what the story eventually evolves into, and actually, uh, in the theme of uh, your uh, show, uh, it's very Lovecraft. Because <laughs> yeah, though, like, uh, so I'm trying to think. Around when I was doing that rewrite, I, I it was also around the time that I had like first really gotten into Quake, and uh, through Quake, I ended up falling in love with uh, Lovecraft's writing. Like one of my favorite stories was, um, and still is my favorite Lovecraft story, uh, the dunwich Horror. Oh, oh yeah. eh, eh, dunwich Horror. Yes, and actually,
0: by the way, we could we could literally just do a whole podcast on Lovecraft. If you want.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but don't worry that, uh, I'll I'll go more into why I'm bringing this up. So, um, but yeah, so I kind of fell in love with his work. I was like, man, I want to do something with this. Like, I can't, like, I can't not. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna like tr- take the, some of this and try to incorporate it into VisceraFest. Fest, and um, effectively now, what the game's universe is is it's because for anyone who doesn't know, Lovecraft's work has no canon. Uh, there's like no one line, uh, just history or power thing. Like it's kind of like anyone can do anything that they want with it. So with VisceraFest, Fest, it's actually like it's sort of like a far flung sci-fi science yeah science fiction universe, sci-fi and sci-fi, science fiction same thing. But uh, it, but it's like it's set in like basically a, a like the Lovecraft universe, it, like just like straight up and like because I feel like with a lot of old school FPS games it's like you know they'll, they'll have like the, a, a Lovecraft thing in them right mm-hmm. like uh, but it always feels really tacked on to me like uh, and again like I'm not America. knocking I'm not knocking these games but Quake and Dusk like uh, I feel like you know Quake 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 is just like a just a Odd cocktail of ideas, and I love it. But Quake, it, it, it's um, narratively almost nothing ties the game to Lovecraft. Like, inter- like the most Lovecraft thing in that is like the Shambler and the uh, and But th- that's kind of just like that would be like if I were like making a, a Star Wars movie and just suddenly I had Dracula show up. You know, like it's not made a Dracula movie suddenly just because I throw Dracula in there. Uh, And kind of the same thing with Dusk, like, it it has, like, Lovecraftian ideas and themes running throughout the game, but, like, just throwing a Lovecraft monster in at the end doesn't really feel right to me. Whereas with Viscerofest, like, it's inherently baked into the lore of the universe. And not only that, but, like, I've effectively taken efforts to try and, like, expand on it in the context of the universe without, like, being disrespectful to his work. Because the main thing I love... Okay. maybe this will sound like heresy for me saying this i don't like lovecraft because i think his work is work is scary because i really don't think his work is scary at all i mean don't get me wrong i understand the concepts i understand like that's a lot of why people love lovecraft but for me this is just the reason i love his work so much it's just because i find like the worlds and the uh just all the different like species not just species but like I guess c- concepts that are tied to the creatures and the things themselves to be interesting, and uh, really, and like I just like I, I'm always fascinated listening to his books, uh, and I kind and that's some of like what I wanted to pull in the Fest. So kind of what I've done is usually I try to because like you know Lovecraft is very vague about what he does, and there's still a degree to where like we try to maintain that vagueness. But when like expanding on some of his stuff, what I'll do is I'll take like a central central core concept that he runs with with some of his entities and i try to use that as the basis to uh expand upon uh his ideas with them uh so like a great example this is not an entity that appears in the game but it is something that exists in the universe and that is the outer Al- god yuxithoth mm-hmm. the kind of the central concept that exists with him is like you know knowledge the fear of knowledge and Things of that nature. So one of the things uh, regarding his lore in the viscerfest universe is that for one, nobody really knows what Yog is, and a lot of his followers actually have like different theories on what Yog is. is. Uh, some believe that he's like, he, that he's actually like, he is not simply one consciousness, but he is the conglomeration of all every consciousness of every living being within the known universe, which is like basically how he knows everything. And basically when, like, a being dies, like, its consciousness is kind of just absorbed into the mass that is Yogg-Sothoth. But in essence, like, it's really kind of like, you know, like, Yogg-Sothoth is everyone. And it's just, it's like everyone acting independently. But, but like, that's effectively, like, where all his knowledge comes from. In reality, he's not really a being. He's like a conglomeration of beings. Whereas conversely, some of his, like, followers will be like, you know, he, he is physically multiple beings. But that they all these beings share one consciousness, and they kind of like,
0: like a hive mind.
1: Yeah, uh, they kind of observe every form of reality there is, and uh, they they're constantly just like you know absorbing this information and feeding it all into one central consciousness. And, and like and like that's like that's just like a kind of a loose example of like how I like take like one concept and like I try to expand upon it in a way that like you know it almost answers some questions, but in a way it almost asks, asks more about like the creatures and the things within his universe. And like I said, that's not an entity that's going to be in the game, but uh, we do stuff like that uh, with some of like where the story ends up going. And like with the beings who are in the game, because uh, there are several uh, gods that appear uh, in the game. I won't say which ones cause uh, they're, they're pretty spoilery uh, or I consider them spoilery anyways. But um, it, it's something I'm really excited for uh, for people to actually see because it it results in like this very interesting tonal shift throughout the course of the game where you know you play the devil. Like, it starts out very lighthearted and it's and like Carolyn never really changes uh, who she is throughout the course of the game. Her goal is always you know what you saw it is.
0: But um, right, kill the warlock, get the money, yeah. by the ring.
1: Well, like you quickly end up finding out like the characters who are kind of almost portrayed as like the villains at the start of the game you end up finding out like there's a lot more to like what they're doing and what's going on than just you know the surface level hey they're bad guys doing bad things and it, 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 on that there's also like a shift from like the more lighthearted to like a, a darker perspective it always maintains this aura of like self-awareness and being uh not like cheesy self-awareness but like always n- never being too afraid to have fun with itself i'll say but at the same time, like I said, there is like that darker tonal shift. And it, it's, it's, it's really interesting, I think, in, in practice it will be, because uh, it's just like, it's such like, uh, I'm trying to think of who mentioned this, but uh, combining like two very different, especially visually different concepts always results in something that's very, very interesting. Like with Doom, it was like, you know, sci-fi, far-flung future technology and hell. Or, you know, with Quake, you know, kind of the same thing, but like, you know, medieval times. And like lots of things like that. It's always more interesting when you combine two very different concepts, like butt heads, and having the shift between the two. Uh, it, it, it results in an ex- experience that is not only more compelling, but it, it, it leaves a lot of intrigue, I think, because it's like, you know, when you start the game, you establish what's familiar, you establish what's normal. And then, as you progress through the game, with the more and more you move away from that, the more and more exciting it gets. uh, Not just from a narrative perspective, but from like a a level design and from a gameplay perspective, because it's like you're moving more and more into like this territory that you're not really familiar with. Because the universe makes it clear this is not normal. But yeah, so.
0: (laughs) And and, to all our uh, pothead listeners out there who just went on a fucking journey, but. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no but in like in, in addition to that like uh i mentioned um like kind of the ways in which we expand on the universe but like there is a lot of lore like i mentioned the hub and the hub as you progress through the game you're going to be able to unlock uh lore bits in the lore library. <laughs> which you'll be able to like read and find out more about not just like the Viscera fest side of the universe, but like the Lovecraftian side of the universe as well. You'll be able to le- learn about more who the main character is because the main character is not human or at least not entirely human. Uh, in fact, actually uh, going off of that uh, one choice I made relatively early on, I think was uh, humans are actually almost extinct in the Viscerafest universe because I was just like, you know, every sci-fi universe has like humans as a central focus why not just kind of get rid of them? <laughs> like, Earth is, like, in a post, uh, post-apocalyptic post state for the most part. There are just, like, a few, like, biosphere, almost, like, areas where there is life. Um, and, like, there are people living there still. But for the most part, like, Earth is, like, a relatively dead planet. But, like, there's, there's a lot to the fest universe. Like, actually, uh, even ignoring, like, the library, there's a bestiary, and in the bestiary... There will be, like, descriptions of, like, the en- enemies and their, like, their species. And not only that, but I then mean, there will be descriptions of, like, how this specific species came in line, like, with whatever faction it's in. And, and so, like, you know, there's just lots and lots of stuff that, uh, it's genuinely interesting stuff. And, like, whenever I bounce it off of people, people are like, man, like, that's, that's a lot. I, I didn't expect this to be as, like, intricately detailed as it was, like, um... It was funny. Uh, I was talking to the artist. You've you seen like the art that's used in the main menu. Mm-hmm. There's like this one bird enemy type who appears in the game. It's called uh, the species. It's called the Kalavian. The actual like enemy type's name is it's the Thunderbird, but the species name is, the, is it's the Kalavian. And um, when I was we were doing that art initially, she had drawn feathers on uh, the enemy type in the art picture. And I was like, no, 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 it doesn't have feathers because. <laughs> The species itself can have feathers, um, but the thing is, is it's kind of like a sta- uh, status and cultural thing. And there are a lot of times where um, th- this, uh, these species, they don't actually end up blooming, and they're kind of outcast and ostracized from the rest of their society. And when the USC uh, kind of like made a treaty with this species, a part of that treaty was, was in order to like – so the, the Calavian species kind of suffers from overpopulation especially due to the ones who never bloom – which basically just means like they never really get their feathers. So those ones are kind of ostracized from society, but they're kind of like intruding on like the normal classes way of life. So uh, in order to kind of compensate for this, when they made the treaty with the USC, who are like kind of like the starting enemy faction, they basically started like taking them and just like shipping them off to the USC to basically be used as like security and soldiers and stuff like that. So, so I had to sit there, and rather than saying "Yeah, don't put feathers on it," I sat there and explained to the artist, "Like, hey, like you know, she can't, he can't have feathers because that doesn't make sense for specifically this enemy type.
0: Yeah, this is what happens when you have a creative guy uh, working on something for eight years, and you just have all the time in the world to think and think and think. It's almost like Tolkien the way you're, <laughs> where there's just so much going on in the background. There's like a whole moving world that exists kind of behind the scenes
1: or like um another one uh so like the zethryns who are like the most standard enemy type they have like the green eye and like they're or, yeah they, they have green skin the green eye um and they they fire like the three round burst that enemy type is like uh so they're actually a completely manufactured species they're not a naturally occurring current species in the universe they're 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 basically genetically modified and created, and uh, they're bred to be specific specifically female. One to prevent so like because they sell them, they, they sell the species as like basically work uh, force, uh, and they're manufactured by this company called Dermatech, who does lots of different genetic stuff. But um, yeah, so they're manufactured. They're sold as like slaves or soldiers and stuff like that, and they are bred to have very very short lifespans. In order to ensure return customers, and they're bred to uh, be specifically female in order to uh, prevent—or not bred—I should say they're they're cloned to be specifically female, so that way is to prevent uh, them from ever like meeting and re- and like you know like an, a some like a buyer being able to like you know get more of them. Let's say,
0: <laughs> yeah, we could tie that into like Star Wars, and we could tie that into uh, Game of Thrones too, mm-hmm. with the, the way that that happens. But I don't want to believe that in the year thirty-seven ninety-six. <laughs> We're still going to have fucking slavery and caste systems and racism. (laughs) Yeah. I guess, uh, no, this is fun. This is a really fun like post-apocalyptic kind of universe.
1: And like like I said, it's just Earth that's in a post-apocalypse. Most of the rest of the universe is kind of just fine. Um, (laughs) I mean, you know, it's the rest of the universe with all the highs and lows that could bring. Um, But yeah, uh, like you said, it's just been... Having that much time to work on this game, like uh, I put a lot of effort and thought into everything, and I actually wasn't even going to include lore uh, originally in the final product. But a uh, fire plant, uh, the guy who's helping me work on it, he, he was really pushing for that. He was like, "Man, you've put so much time and effort into this; like, we got to put into the game somehow." So,
0: how is it um, courting publishers with that in your back pocket, like all that luggage with you? <laughs>
1: uh i i haven't actually we haven't gone for a publisher uh okay is it straight up indie uh for right now uh i mean marky has been talking about uh maybe sending a bill to fred at 3d realms uh and Doug, uh, like honestly like i know fred yeah <laughs> he um but yeah no uh the, the, the thing for me is I, w- I would totally love to um <laughs> sorry I'm brain just for it. I would like I would totally love to do this full time. I would absolutely love to. I would love to quit my miserable job right now, which has only been made more miserable by the fact that we put the demo out because all I can think about now is, man, I wish I were at home working on the game.
0: <laughs> uh, Dude, same. Every every moment that I'm at my day job, I'm just like, this is so many hours I could be being actually productive. That's how I feel every time I'm there.
1: Yeah. But yeah, no, like, and that's like the main, only reason really I, I, w- I would want to pursue a publisher. But my, I guess my main fear is I don't I, like, I don't want to sacrifice on anything that I'm doing. I don't want to have to like make any big changes because some of the, sorry, excuse me, some, someone higher up is like, nah, we can't do that or, you know, whatever. I would love, 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 love to work with 3D Realms. Uh, I have no idea if they would even be remotely interested in uh, working with me on this game. Um, But I mean, honestly, the the biggest thing is just going to be time because, I mean, if I can sit down and work on this full time, I absolutely would. And not only that, but it would get done a heck of a lot faster than it would if I have to work a day job. But uh, and I think that's my biggest fear with getting a publisher is like, you know, I I would need to get paid in some capacity. Uh, I, I would need to make some kind of income. Just because, like, you know, I need to be able to survive. (laughs) Uh, But
0: There's nothing wrong with that either. No. I uh, I hate when people act like that's not... I've gone on so many rants on this podcast about, like, fucking get paid. Like, seriously get paid yeah, if you can.
1: Um, But, like, yeah, I I mean, like, I I would love to work 3D realms. My biggest thing is just going to be, though, like... You know, I'm not gonna be reliably able to get anything done unless I can work on this thing full time, especially not with my current jo- job or really any job going forward if I have to work full time on something.
0: You're crowdsourcing?
1: No. Uh it's all but been- I've been I've been <laughs> I've been doing this. So so yeah, I mean I won't talk about how much I pay anyone or anything like that, but like the people I have paid and the people who are working with me who I've given money to, I'll say I'm paying them less than I probably should be. but I, because of that, I always make sure that like when I can afford to pay them more, is, you know like that, that's a big thing. It's like being able to afford to pay them. Yeah. if I can't afford to pay someone more, I, I, I will. I, I'll just th- throw them in a bonus that they weren't expecting because I, I want to support them. like I want like I want to give everyone I work with way more money than I am. Uh, and I, I, I think it, I, it really sucks for me because I'm just like, man, if I could, I would totally just like throw all my money at these people, um, but because like it, like the, the level of quality and the uh, the craftsmanship and the work that everyone has brought to it, whether it be Murky with the music and the sound, whether it be Mariah Key and Sarah and Trixie with some of the art they've done for like the cutscene and the promotional stuff, or the character turnarounds that they've done, or Fireplant with his just immaculate coding and his uh, just to me it just sucks that i can't support these people more but i mean like you know i would love to uh like i said i would absolutely love to work with the Feedy realms if i could uh if that ends up panning out I, I i mean i would be more than happy My, the main thing really is one you know i'm not sure if they would be willing to work with me if i weren't able to consistently get stuff done because you know i'm sure they want to ship the game out by a certain point they're going to want to you know get things done within a reasonable time scale and being forced to wait on me because I have to, uh, you know, go to work, and that I can only work on the game for a couple hours every night. You know, like I just don't know that they're going to have the patience to put up with that, or even want to. Or and, you know, I'm not sure if they would um, be interested in uh, even even working with me on the game at all. I mean, maybe they're just like, man, this doesn't reach our bar quality, uh, because you know, I mean, you look at Iron, like you know. I think the game looks aesthetically pleasing, but like the game is nowhere near as detailed as something like Wrath or Ion Fury. Like It is a much more visually simple game than uh, either of those titles, and I'm just not sure. Well, I, yeah.
0: Ion Fury was born of 3D Realms. Like they hired a team with an idea kind of already in place. Yeah. So it's a bit of a different dynamic you know, from hiring an indie, or buying an indie, I should say, to you know hiring a team that's already established to build a game that you've already fleshed out two totally different processes but yeah i mean d- don't even close your doors like 3d realms isn't the only game in town i <laughs> genuinely would love to see that but you know whatever happens happens um i would also say man like do you want me to set up your patreon account for you like, you should be, like do you need, you need a patreon you need venmo you need paypal I feel. do you, do you want a think spot account like only fans like whatever you got to do to get it out there like i mean
1: honestly like the biggest thing for me is i just like i don't want to like one if i would have a patreon i just don't know that i could provide enough to to like give back to people who are supporting me on that but in addition to that i, I just be like,
0: honest about it and it's not a problem let them yeah if they want to support your game let them support it i'm not gonna let you go on this you gotta be crowdsourcing dog you, you, you're talking about you're talking about money you're talking about paying people if you need to do that into your fans the people who support you are willing to help you out let them help you
1: yeah i mean I, again like I, I i especially i would I like to me i'm like if i'm gonna make money i would prefer to do i prefer to do it via the method of putting a product in somebody's hands because i feel like at the very least they're not just throwing money at me for the sake of throwing money at me they're throwing money at me because I'm giving them something that again like I, they think is worth their time. Um yeah. but yeah.
0: Not everybody's going to think it's worth their time, but I, some people I, might I, say it's worth my time to support an indie dev mm-hmm. who is making something that I'm looking forward to and who has reason to need the money. It's not like you're going to take it and fucking put it in your wallet, quit making the game and go take a cruise in the Caribbean. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're you're like I'm I'm trying to pay my guys who are helping me with the game. I want to, you know, make sure you have the best quality when it's out and then when it's out just like offer him a free copy and a t-shirt or you know whatever you can do like that that's fun mm-hmm. yeah i don't know i'm not i'm not going to enforce you but yeah uh, <laughs> where is your address i'm coming up. <laughs> the the last uh, big tangent i wanted to go on was uh, working with michael i'm going to have him on the podcast sometime in the near future i think is kind of like a sequel follow up to you mm-hmm and also for everything else he's done, but like, how did that relationship?
1: Oh yeah, uh, no, I totally, I totally, I, I was going to mention that earlier. Cause I mentioned the other guy who is, uh, doing music for me, but I, fo- I totally forgot to talk about that. Um, so I've actually, I've actually pretty glad you brought that up. So I was working with that other guy for a while. Um, and he, he was doing all right. Um, he got me like two songs and then there was kind of just like this dead period. Right. And, uh, what I ended up finding, like he he was trying to get back into it uh at some point but then um he was working a fifty hour a week job on top of doing college so he did not have the time or the energy to uh <laughs> work on music at, at at all like period like he didn't have time or energy to do anything other than his work and you know what his classes and stuff like that. But you know it's totally understandable. So I said, like, so he was saying, look, I don't think I can do this anymore. I was like, yeah, no, I totally understand. That's fine. Um, But you know, this like kind of left me open, open with uh, no composer, and especially like that at that point, I was wrapping up development on the Blender version of Chapter Two. So I was like, I gotta need music fast. So I was browsing around. I was asking people like if they could recommend composers to me. I had stumbled on to the Quake Champions Doom Edition soundtrack on. uh, YouTube, and I was listening to it, and uh, I think at some point I had seen, like, a separate link to, uh, like, his uh, Quake, to his uh, remake of the Quake theme that he did. And then, and it, uh, I, I was kind of looking at his channel, and I saw he did a video where he said, yeah, so, like, basically, uh, the guy I, I offered to do, like, work for uh, the Quake Champions Doom Edition guys for free on uh, their mod. And so I was thinking, like, oh, this isn't like some industry professional. Like, he's totally attainable. Like, I could ask him, and like, I would obviously, I'm gonna pay him. Like, there's no way now I'm not gonna pay him for the work he does. But, um, like, you know, I was, I was like, man, I, I could actually like maybe I, this would work. Like, I could reach out to this guy because, and then I would start going through some more of his music, and then I stumbled on the fact that he had remade. One of the he had remade the theme song for Marathon the Randall, which was one of the original inspirations for Viscera Fest, um, was the Marathon games made by Bungie way back in the day, uh, and I I was just like, well, now I have to hire him. <laughs> so I, I, I shot him an email and I was like, hey, I'm working on this game. Sent him a trailer. I was like, you know, I'd be more than willing to pay you for the work you did you do. I kind of, like, told him, like, what I was thinking my price range would be for paying for the songs. Uh, and he was like, yeah, sure, like, let's let's do this. Um, and so he, he joined my Discord, and uh, we ended up working together from there for a while. And uh, so, so, yeah, so he had made uh, – so he the first song we made was uh, – well, actually, so I to talk, going into the music, first thing I told him so was, like, kind of, like, what I wanted the music to be on the whole in uh, regards to, like, the project – uh, which was basically, I wanted the music to reflect the progression of the game. so so basically, so for starters, like the game's soundtrack starts out like very simply, right? And this has kind of been done to reflect the idea that um you're in you're in a familiar place, like uh, you know, th- th- synth music is very technological sounding, and there's a uh, comfort and familiarity. And when I think think of something that's like, comfort and familiar like i think it's something that's a like, very artificial like you know like your bedroom or something like that your bed like that's man-made it's very comfortable and so like i kind of wanted to have the synth use the synth to reflect that of you being somewhere that's very familiar and very safe and then as you progress through the game more and more metal starts uh getting introduced to kind of sign- begin to signal the shift away from that and then you go to chapter two which has like oriental music which is more like naturalistic which starts to begin the shift towards something that's less familiar you know like the wild and things of that nature and then you get to chapter three which is like heavy, full-on like heavy metal industrial and uh like full-on like the quake theme basically which, which which again is kind of like meant to reflect like the chaos and like the incomprehensibility of where you are where you are and what's going on and so it's like yeah yeah and so then we started working on the theme song and uh, kind of we he, we wanted to take some of those elements and kind of use that to create a central theme around the game uh, that would kind of like encompass the ideas that uh, were present within the game itself and on top of that I said the main thing I want with the theme especially is I want it to be a song that sticks in people's heads because, uh, and again I'm not knocking the some of these other retro FPS games that have come out but like I can't really think of a recent first-person shooter that's come out where, like, it's had a memorable theme song. Because I'm like, okay, like, what is the, like, when you think of, like, the Dusk soundtrack, like, like, Dusk soundtrack, I think it's a great soundtrack, but, like, what is the Dusk song? Like, what is the dusk sound? Like, you know, because when I think of Doom, I think of E1M1, I think of Doom's Gate, you know, like, da 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 Oh, you know, when I think of the Quake, I think of the Quake theme. When I think of Duke Nukem. It sounded more like Cowboy Um, But, like, you know, when I think of Duke Nukem, I think of the Duke Nukem theme. When I think of Blood, I think of the song in Cradle to Grave. I think of, you know, Infoskimus um you know or the shadow war you know like all these games they have like the song that is their identity right and uh with a lot of the more recent fps games i was like man i'm not really getting the vibe that any of these games care about getting that kind of song like it's not that they have bad soundtracks they just don't really seem to like go for that this song is my identity kind of vibe um And so that was really something I wanted to establish with the Viscera Fest theme song, which is just called Viscera Fest. Uh, so that was the first track wh- he he made, and it was funny actually because he sent that track to me, and uh, there's this one ambient bit toward like the middle of the track, and that was originally where it, it ended. And I think the reason he had done that is because he kind of wanted it to be like the Quake theme, where it starts off, it's really upbeat, it's got like you know heavy metal and stuff like that. Uh, but then you get to like the the latter portion of the song, and it's just kind of like it ends on quiet ambience. And I said, I I I, I, I kind of wanted something a bit more uh, a, a, um, notable and something more like just like hurrah for like the ending. So Yo, like, DJ, bring that beat back, like. And so four hours later, he sends me the song again, and it's two minutes longer. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was like already, it was already like two minutes long. But he sends it like four hours later. He sends it back to me. It's two minutes longer, and it's like this entire like uh, epic final part of the song. Um, so then, uh, yeah, and like it's kind of just been like on and off working on songs since then. Because uh, w- w- especially like with the Unity build, uh, he the primary way he works is he wants to know like what what is the level going to be before I make a song. Which I mean, obviously, duh. But, uh, when we when we're actually, uh, so sort of like, you know, we can't just like say, Hey, make this song for the chapter two level. that doesn't exist yet. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So for the most part, I kind of let him do his own thing. You know, I mean, like I said, there is like that kind of like basis for on which like the soundtrack is meant to reflect on kind of like what the themes of the game is. And, uh, as you progress through the game and like how the music changes and adapts throughout the course of the experience, but on the whole, when he's making a song, I, I'm pretty hands off with what he does just cause I feel like, you know, if I were to try to funnel him into truly doing one thing, uh, you know, one, I don't know anything about music, so I wouldn't be the one to, uh, you know, I'll make suggestions here or there if I want something different with a song, but I don't like say, Hey, the song has to be this. For the most part, I I leave him to his own devices. But moving away from music because he does way more than just music for the game. He also does all of our sound now. But Marky was like, "Hey, so you know, we, we put the music in the game and it sounds great, but like the sounds they really don't have. They don't feel like they fit with the music because you know, like the way I had made the sounds was substantially different to like the quality of his audioscape and the way in which he handles his audio stuff. So it's like, hey, do you mind? If, uh, I, w- w- would you be okay if I made uh, sounds for the game? Uh, and I said no, because <laughs> that was something that like I really wanted to do, it was something I had a lot of fun doing. He had ended up remaking the pistol sound, and I wasn't a fan of it at first, but over time it kind of grew on me, and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll let you do some stuff. So he, he, he started out and he just did the weapons, but then uh, I think when we started transitioning over to the Unity build, that's when like he kind of took over completely for in terms of like what we were doing with sound design and stuff like that uh, and it, what he has done is like I can't begin to praise him enough for it so like every single gun has like probably like five to six different firing sounds and like not just like pitch shifted but like completely different firing sounds and it's the same for like most of the pickups it's the same for like all of the enemy sounds uh, on top of the enemy sounds having some slight pitch shifting. Not only that, but like, so with the audioscape itself, uh, we're using FMOD, and and uh, it allows us to do a lot of things. So like sounds will actually echo in bigger rooms. And not only that, but uh, he's made different ambient sounds that scale to the size of the room. So like if you're in a really big room, uh, if you turn off the music, uh, you'll be able to hear it where the ambient sound will kind of like as you walk from like a small room to, like, uh, a, a bigger open space. Like, the audio will kind of, like, suck out as, like, you enter this, like, large space. And it's just, like, ah, oh, it is, like, beautiful. It is, like, downright artistic, what he has done with uh, the audio audioscape. I, I, I really can't praise him enough for that. Like, it is just, like, yeah. <laughs> but then, then like, on top of that, we've also been doing a lot with, like, telegraphing stuff better than we did not than I did in Blender version. Like, uh, I don't know how many people notice this. Like we we made some tweaks to it, so it's a uh, a bit more substantial in the new patch. But uh, the enemies, all of them, like if it's like an enemy that has like a gun or something, like every time before they fire at you, you'll hear their gun click. That way, you have like right. even if like you know, so it's like they're not just suddenly shooting at you. Like you hit, you can have a little bit of an audio cue, and you can like figure out like hey maybe there's an enemy i didn't see or didn't
0: like they're turning off the safety or something yeah
1: and they're about to like full on go full bore on me so i had better you know get out of dodge like all the enemies have stuff like that where uh like every time before they attack you like they'll let you know they're attacking you and like sometimes it will be really quick and really subtle and um sometimes it will be uh like a more substantial uh depending on like what kind of attack it is and Things of that nature, how easy it is to avoid, and but yeah, no, like his audio work, his music work, like I, I mean, like honestly, like I I, I'm, I I can say this without sounding uh, self indulgent because I didn't make the music. The Viscera Fest soundtrack is legitimately my favorite soundtrack. I like I have listened to all the songs so many times, and uh, <laughs> I um I, I love them. I really do. I, I sometimes I catch myself humming some of them. While I'm just like at work or something like that. Uh, especially the song uh, Burned from Both Ends, which is the first boss track. That's that song is just uh it's wonderful. But yeah, I, I really can't like I, I couldn't I could not ask for a better composer, and quite frankly, I don't want to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, man. We've done quite a bit of time here. <laughs> I I just wanna say that I'm having seen the game as it stands right now, and then hearing All of this other stuff, I legitimately can't wait to see your vision realized, and I wish you the best of luck in doing that. Thank you. Also, like, it is extremely inspiring to see someone like you coming, you know, from your background and with, just at at the age you're at, I can't, I hate to keep bringing that up, but like, to see you with this much drive and this much passion and this much vision that you're able to kind of dictate and realize in real time, even though it's a, a slow going real time <laughs> is, it's really inspiring and I'm just proud to have have spent this time kind of getting to know you man, I'm looking forward to having you on again when, you know you have something new to release and when the game folder releases and years from now when you <laughs> have other projects that you've learned from this on
1: Thank you Yeah, it was it was nice talking with you yeah,
0: meantime, <laughs> thank you to Marky Music for the incredible soundtrack here and also thank you to Ozric for being on the fucking show, man. That kid is amazing. I never get to say kid. I'm only doing that to fuck with him. But seriously, that was a really cool conversation for me. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed it. Also thank you to all of you out there listening. That's the best way you can fucking support the show, man, is just to listen and especially tell other people that you listen to it. Tell them they should listen to it. And, uh, you know, just spread the word, man. That's that's what it's all about. We're a community of people who help each other out. So hopefully you help us out, and hopefully we find a way to help you out. If you would like to be a little more supportive, you can join this amazing list of people that I'm about to talk about. Dots Moose, Paul, Zach, Alexander, Lashaka, Brad, Night Owl, Tons, Jeffrey, Larissa, Nabe, Steve, NVZ, Catman, Semico, Chibi Sniper, Donkey, VJ Tenjin, Kent, Brandflakes, Molequit Rao, Red Eyes, Green Dragon, Anthony, Robert, Vince, Amorpher, Yrak, Simon, Gelmo, and Russell. All of you are amazing motherfuckers. Who have donated in some way or given some kind of time or effort or whatever, it doesn't matter what it is. You've supported the show in a greater way. And if you out there are listening and you'd like to be part of that group. Head over to inthekeep.com forward slash support or just click on the support tab once you get to inthekeep.com and uh, you can find all the different ways to support us there. We have affiliate links, you know do your shopping through Amazon from that link no matter what you buy, it'll help out the cause. You can become a Patreon supporter. You can give to us on PayPal. I think the Venmo page is up. Not sure. Not going to check right now, but when it's up, you can use it. Haha. And... Also, just like, whatever, it doesn't matter. If you don't have anything to give, that's fine. If you don't want to give, that's also okay. You can just listen to the show. Doesn't make you a bad person. But if you do want to give a little extra, all Patreon supporters, once they have reached the $25 mark, get an In the Keep t-shirt. It is awesome. Or you can just go over to our merch tab and purchase one right out from our Redbubble store. We also have awesome Sigil of Cathala masks over there in case you need to hide your ugly mug. We have stickers... We've got a long sleeve t-shirt option. Once you get on the Redbubble page, the sky's the limit. You can buy anything you want. I've got the the tapestry that you guys see in the streams off of that site, actually. Um, But yeah, there's all kind of fucking options for you. So exercise them if you so choose. All of the money will go to supporting the cause here, whether that be paying some of the folks who help out or for keeping the servers running if that's needed. Or eventually maybe starting off a nice career in podcasting for a certain handsome individual, but not right yet. We'll get there eventually. But yeah, man, go check out Vince Steele on YouTube. He is an amazing, amazing motherfucker. Check out QuakeFans.net and QuakeFans Radio. Tell Smango that the Motherload sent you. Get on over to RocketJump.Zone if you love arena shooters and want to participate in some amazing events. Same thing with the multiplayer Doom Federation, and as I mentioned earlier, the Take the Crown tournament is coming up, so get your ass signed up right the fuck now before it's too late. U.S. Quake community is also an amazing place that you can go to and get involved in lots of multiplayer Quake and Doom events and just be around a nice, positive group of very, very kind people. All of them are just perfect gentlemen. Tell them Mother sent you. With that said, please... Go out there and support your indies. Show them your love. Take care of yourself. Take care of everyone else around you if you can. And until next time, stay in the keep. Oh, and by the way, at the top of the show, when I mentioned the big announcement and then I said the thing about the Doom Federation, that's a big announcement. Don't get me wrong. But that wasn't it. Next week, you will get the announcement that you've been waiting for. And I am deeply excited to tell you all about it.